0: Welcome to Revolution Solution, providing you with solutions for your revolution to be a free person in an unfree world. Join us in our pursuit of sovereignty through permaculture, technology, and community. Welcome back to Revolution Solution. This is Cody.
1: And I'm Jared.
0: And today we are going to talk permaculture as our first little introductory episode to that topic. Um, Before we get started, though, I want to mention again, we've got a couple housekeeping items. Um, There are two promo links that will be in the show notes, um, one of which is Fold App. If you guys are interested in getting a debit card that gives you rewards back Uh, In sats, Um, that link will give you 5,000 sats on sign up. And I think it gives us both the um, extra points on our spins, uh, which you get with every purchase. So um, take a look at that. And then there's also uh, Jared's butcher box, which we were just talking about before we started recording. So I'm going to let him share what he just told me because I think it's really cool.
1: Yeah. So the, the referral link is pretty typical. It's the same, it seems to be the same referral bonus um, as if you sign up through the Survival Podcast and they cannot be stacked. So if you signed up through someone else, you can't take advantage of another one. Um, but the way they sell it is free bacon for life plus $30 off your first ButcherBox order. But I want to kind of upsell even further there and mention that since I became a customer of ButcherBox in either 2018 or 2019, they have not missed a shipment. Um, so obviously I'm paying every month and they are still delivering meat every month, even through all of the insanity and craziness of last year. Uh, there were certain items that were lower in stock, um, but their suppliers, you know, whoever gets meat to ButcherBox, kept the meat rolling all through 2020 and continue to through 2021.
0: Nice. And uh, does that show up like still pretty cold when it gets to you?
1: It is still frozen to the point that you need gloves to handle it.
0: Oh, snap. Okay, cool. Yeah, cuz mm-hmm. I've ordered stuff before where they've got like the the liner inside the box and it like does a good job of keeping it cold, but you're like, "Man, I got to get in the fridge really quick." But uh mm. you're saying it's still completely frozen. That's awesome. I yeah, that mean, it's got quick. Really thick their quick.
1: insulation all around and they also send it with dry ice in the top. So we had oh, the box that showed up the week of Thanksgiving luckily showed up the day that we were supposed to leave for Atlanta before we left town. Uh, But it was two days late, and it still had dry ice in it.
0: Holy cow. That's awesome. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, with that said, please keep a lookout for that. We'll have the show notes out the same day that this is posted, which is going to be December 10th. And uh, let's get right into it. So permaculture. What is permaculture?
1: Yeah. Let's do it. Um so permaculture was originally a combination of permanent and agriculture, but it has eventually changed to just be more generically a combination of permanent and culture because folks started to realize how broadly it could be applied. Uh-huh. Um and when Bill Mollison and David Holmgren came up with the idea in the eighties, agriculture I guess didn't didn't quite have the same negative connotation it's grown to have today. Um that was really kind of the early in the the whole chemical revolution so agriculture was just kind of more thought of as providing food um and in that vein you know it still kind of applies but it's it's significantly more broad than that Mm -hmm. so to expand from there uh, wikipedia actually has a really nice introduction in their entry for permaculture so i'm just read straight from that permaculture is amongst others an approach to land management that adopts arrangements observed in flourishing natural ecosystems it includes a set of design principles derived from whole systems thinking it uses these principles in fields such as regenerative agriculture rewilding and community resilience Permaculture originally came from permanent agriculture, but was later adjusted to mean permanent culture, incorporating social aspects as inspired by Masanobu Fukuoka's natural farming. The term was coined by Bill Mollison and David Holmgren in 1978, who formulated the concept in opposition to Western industrialized methods and incongruence with indigenous or traditional knowledge. So this is something that um, they didn't come up with all the different concepts. tactics and procedures that are often employed in permaculture they took basically a survey looking at all sorts of different indigenous communities and just saw what sort of things they were doing since they had to deal directly with the poor stewardship of the land um, and applied those in a modern way basically i mean in a lot of cases it's using the same tools even because you don't need a large specialized Machinery most of the time to just work with the earth, nature knows what it's doing,
0: nice, yeah, um something that I was thinking about while you're talking is uh it, it really is like I, I like the idea of it being permanent culture because um as we'll get into it really is just a almost like a mindset way of handling you know anything that you do, whether it's around the house or in the backyard in the garden. And it's not – it really isn't just a food-growing practice. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it can apply to anything.
0: Yep. All right, so do you want to read the Prime Directive? Yes.
1: yes. So Excellent. permaculture has, over the years, taken to mean many different things to many different people. But at its core, it is the Prime Directive and the three ethics, which we're going to get into. So the Prime Directive – simply states the only ethical decision is to take responsibility for your own existence and that of your children. Mm -hmm. That's it.
0: Yeah. And I noticed that a note you put on there, uh, the just notice that it is responsibility for yourself and your kids and how that ties into self-ownership. So um, I really want to impress that upon people just because Like self-ownership, like to to really own something is to take responsibility of everything about it. So like if you're going to own yourself, you have to be responsible for your own actions. Absolutely. And all the fallout from that.
1: Yep. And the consequences. Um, So this leads into the three ethics, which are basically just an elaboration of the prime directive. Um, They're earth care, people care, and future care. So you're basically making sure you ethically take care of the earth and its resources, the people, the community, the human systems around you. And, you know, again, relating back to the prime directive, taking care of the future. Because if you're doing the most expedient thing now, it's not necessarily going to be the best in the future. Mm -hmm. So some folks have taken the third ethic from future care to be fair share which is much too communist for my taste. And they typically mean it as such. Um, so fu- future care in my estimation is a much better representation of Bill Mollison's original intent. I know David Holmgren still uses fair share, but that is mm. definitely kind of his, his bent is more socialist communist type direction. Um
0: yeah it kind of it sounds like it speaks to like this society level outlook where it's like you know future care means like we have to look at society as a whole whereas to me um i i look at it like this is really just a kind of a like people who weren't thinking about it economically made a statement about economics. And so I would say it's basically just the concept of savings, right? Like Mm. don't, don't, Mm. um, burn all of your, you know, your food resources and not have any left for winter, right? Like learn how to preserve, how to, how to push things forward. Um, and also like designing systems so that they do go forward. Um, if you've listened to us on intentional community, I've been talking about Mark Shepard's book Restoration Agriculture, and he talks about you know pl- literally planning a crop rotation a hundred years out because of the way um, things grow and the and the way different plants grow at different times and how you need to work with that and understand how to use that into the future. Um, but and, and then another note on this is is there's I. I've heard fair share, but the way I heard it uh, from Jack a couple years ago was it was a uh, return of surplus. Yeah. And that got used really hard for like the communist bent, which it's I, I see how they got that. But to me, it was like what, what you're trying to do is understand how to keep a system like on a loop and fulfilling itself without, you know, um, and we'll get into this later, too, because I actually have a note specifically on this. But the idea is to not you know, export all of your, all of your surplus, right? So like, if you think about, I'll refer to the example later, but if you think about mowing a lawn and then you pay for some trash company to pick up all of these bags of mowed grass you're, you're exporting all of this product. And it's like, man, how can I, how can I use this grass in a way that benefits me instead of paying someone else to get rid of it? Yeah. You know, like you're you're sending things off the property and you're leeching value away when you could be compounding the value and maintaining it in, in that area. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, just to kind of get quickly into one example, I won't elaborate too much because I know we're trying to avoid this. But with that example, you know, we've got leaves all over. The yard right now because it's fall. Mm-hmm. I take those leaves. I use them as litter in the chicken coop. The chi- chickens scratch through them, tear them to pieces, poop on them for months. They go in a pile to compost down and get some of the nitrogen out of the chicken poop because it's high in nitrogen. Mm-hmm. Then that becomes mulch for the garden.
0: Yeah. Um. So are you are you doing your chickens in a run or? Yeah. Yeah, with like that deep bedding type thing going on. or So.
1: They've more or less got bare soil in the run right now because the run was a recent expansion So we doubled our chicken head count just a okay. couple months ago. Um, but that will eventually be the goal. They're, they're in a large space that I can't uh, feasibly come up with the materials to do a deep bedding there.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so um, let's write this down for the show notes. There was a really good video from Justin Rhodes maybe a year or two ago that where he had just built his deep bedding chicken run system where there's like two sides coming off of it and he did that where you literally just throw scraps and everything in there and they basically turn their bedding into compost and then Mm -hmm. when that's getting to the point that it's like you know gonna become compost you switch the chickens over to the other one while you're gardening in the in the empty one right in in the newly Composted side. So you're switching back and forth between the two and creating new, you know, soil Mm -hmm. between those. But, uh, yeah, before we get too (laughs) sidetracked, um, I'll read the next one here. So, sure. As you learn about permaculture and many of the folks teaching permaculture on a small or large scale, you will find a lot of right of center anarchists. Yeah. Um, that is has been kind of interesting for me. So, um, Safidine had uh this guy, actually I'd been following him on Twitter for a while, Untapped Growth on Twitter. Uh he was a bitcoiner before he was a restoration agriculturist. And so now that's he's beautiful. he's doing regenerative agriculture and he uh he's done interviews with Safidine on that, and I'm sure he's been on others as well, but uh we'll link to that too. So that's yeah. just one example. And like I said, Love we were we were talking about Right, future care is savings and how permaculture isn't just about farming, right? So mm-hmm. we, we, we're going to be incorporating Bitcoin into this. And so as we go with our show here, you'll see how like it we're gonna be switching back and forth between topics, but they're all really one topic. <laughs> yeah. I mean <laughs> yeah. But
1: before we even actually got started with this, I was just starting to lay out a few ideas of things we could talk about when i was just pitching the idea of doing a podcast to you and very quickly had more than a dozen topics because once once you start realizing the connections between things again kind of permaculture thinking you see that there's just endless possibilities we've got over half a year of content already planned out yep with with very little thought right it just all flows
0: (laughs) well and i read your outline and i was like okay let me tack on like three (laughs) things but you pretty much hit everything that i'm interested in so that's right man (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Um, all right. I'll, I'll give it to you for the next one.
1: Okay. So just I want to quickly mention what permaculture is not. So this is something that Jack one on the survival podcast talk about a lot. You don't have to have swales to have permaculture. You don't necessarily have permaculture by incorporating swales permaculture is not swales or hydroponics or chicken tractors these are particular tools that could be applied in a permaculture system but permaculture can also exist in their absence permaculture is basically the design science the way of thinking and combining different pieces right um i mean a toilet so, a toilet can be part of your permaculture system or mm-hmm, it could not
0: mhm yep and and it's all how involved you want to be so like i think one of the things that you wrote in that very first outline was you know, what is what does freedom mean to you? Like how how much of this are you willing to do and how much are you like, you know, I'm perfectly okay, you know, going to the store for this or mm-hmm. or being plugged in to a certain degree because it's just convenient or whatever, you know, whatever it is, um, this this is about lifestyle design and not everybody wants to be completely off grid and self sufficient and you know, that's fine. Right. Um, should I give a little like at least say like what a swale is for those who don't know? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So, um, this is something like, like I mentioned with like grass going off of a property, um, what a lot of people don't realize. And it's one of the first things that becomes apparent when you get into, you know, gardening or farming is water. And if you have a property that, you know, isn't, isn't designed for this yet, um, you'll notice that you lose a lot of water. So let's say you get a lot of water every year but it all kind of runs off into the ditches and it doesn't, you know, it creates erosion and all of that stuff. And, and you've heard me scream about that on different podcasts. But um, so a swale is basically just moving dirt into a, into a mound and that mound is, is in a line that is designed to slow down the, running away of water and so that just it slows it down and it soaks it in and allows the water to soak in deeper and and actually saturate the soil and so it's it's one of these concepts of just preserving water this water resource that would otherwise just you know run away that you're not capturing you know it's a resource that's in your own yard that i don't think very many people really think of outside of the inconvenience of having to remember an umbrella so Mm -hmm. but but like we said it it depends what you're going to do if if you're not doing if you're not doing that kind of permaculture that's fine we're just we're we're here to talk about a mindset not not right like you said not swales or hydroponics or chicken tractors if you're interested in that that's great and we will get into it but it's it's a mindset first and foremost
1: yeah absolutely you're you're, you may have really steep property and it may be a very small property and a chicken tractor might not be right for you you may not be able to run chickens on your land at all that doesn't mean you're not doing permaculture Jack Spierko is doing something very clearly very different on his property than what Paul Wheaton's doing but anybody who hasn't like aggressively drunk the purple breather Kool-Aid is going to see both of them as permaculture
0: mm-hmm. yep so it's all about finding your niche
1: yeah for sure yep. just like with everything
0: Alright, so um, we've got this TSP episode 2828, which will be linked in the show notes, Um, and that's sort of a reintroduction to permaculture episode that came out, I don't know, would you call that recently, maybe in the last...
1: Yeah, 100 episodes would be like a half a year ago.
0: There you go. Okay, so six months ago, that's pretty recent for me, because I haven't really been... I haven't listened to, you know, every single episode of TSP since like two years ago, maybe. So that's recent for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And within that are a lot of, uh, links and and video and things like that too so we're gonna have an
1: ass load of links (laughs) and notes for this too
0: yep um and i've got references within my spot later so if you have anything from that episode that you want to hit on that you remember off the top of your head or we can just keep going here uh,
1: we can keep moving for now. I may jump back into some things when you reference back to it.
0: Okay, because um, I, I-, I know I've got two spots that I specifically reference when I wrote down my piece in here.
1: Yes, I okay. noticed that. Um, I think All we can right. skip my last points. It's kind. Of-
0: yeah, we've we've definitely talked about this. Okay. Um. So that puts me into. Um. So we've talked about the prime directive. We have talked about the ethics, but um, and what permaculture is not. Um, so it is a mindset, and to add to that mindset is the concept of the problem being the solution. Um, it's really funny. One one of my favorite uh, my favorite book series that I grew up reading. One of the that's a concept that constantly shows up in there. Um, Terry Goodkind's The Sword of Truth, and he's always talking about let Let's not think of the problem; think of the solution. Well. Um. So, so the problem being the solution is really this concept of taking what is and and trying to just work with what is instead of allowing, you know, um, you know, wishes and could have been's to overrule like just you know your your reason and logic uh, to deal with the situation. So, um, this goes. So what I wrote here, this is where I actually wrote the lawn mowing example. So uh, one common example might be lawn mowing. In the average suburban household, you will often see a person work their day job to acquire money that then pays for fuel and maintenance on a machine designed to cut grass. They then spend more of their time and labor cutting that grass and exporting the clippings in bags that they hand off to a company that finds something to do with this wasted carbon. Now, I'm not here to disparage the company who is probably doing something perfectly useful and economical, such as using the grass clippings in a commercial compost. What I'd like to point out, though, is that the homeowner mowing their grass is really just a farmer, but this farmer is paying others to take his product away as waste, and all for the sake of keeping stickers and bugs away, which, hey, I totally get. I live in Kansas, and we get stickers like crazy. Um, (laughs) But what is the farmer farming? He's farming grass, right? So someone just cutting their lawn is a farmer of grass because as soon as that grass is cut and you get any kind of moisture, it grows back like that. Mm -hmm. So um, what are some ways to use that grass and get further value out of it instead of losing even more economic value by literally paying to get rid of a natural resource? So we kind of opened up on this a little bit um, but what are some things we could do? We mentioned compost is definitely one, feeding it to your chickens, putting that somewhere where they can, you know, add to it and, and process it through scratching and whatever chickens do. What what else can we do with grass?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if having a good lawn is important to you, just mulching it in place and leaving it there to break down to feed the grass that's left behind is a yeah. perfectly good use for it.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, I actually used to do that when I worked in groundskeeping, but that was mostly because I was too lazy to actually use the bag and take like dump the uh, grass out. I was like, "Why?" Because even even because I had just gotten interested in permaculture, and I was like, "Why are we doing this?" No, I'm going to mulch it, you know. Mm-hmm. I, and I was I, I did a very good job of staying up on the mowing. That way, it never got to a point that it was unmanageable and it looked bad. But yeah. it was I I definitely mulched in place.
1: Well, my my plan is with. The folks that I mow forks, I've got the little like landscape business now. Mm-hmm. The people that I know don't use any herbicides or pesticides. Once I have a bag or mower, I am, with their permission, stealing all of that for my own <laughs> compost. There you go. And they're going to pay me for it.
0: Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> well, right, but see, <laughs> yeah, that there you go again. So we don't, you know, especially if you're on a city lot, maybe you do have a yard and that's not how you want to do permaculture. And that is something where you have a lawn company that um you're willing to give up that that grass to um because you know as we said this is about what this podcast is also about technology and so we're going to show you how to do things um that aren't necessarily farming related right yeah but so i guess one of my my favorite examples with grass is like okay um Well, um, like uh, Justin Rhodes had some videos on using pigs to till his garden and he's like, well, you've got I could I could do it and, you know, uh, bust my back and everything else tilling a garden. Or I could take these animals who already like to do this crap and put them just where they need to be to do it. And then, you know, they get exercise and fun out of it and they get to roll around in the mud and I get a tilled garden for basically no work. (laughs) Um, So if you have grass... Maybe you have something to graze that grass, like cattle, and you just fence them in. Yeah, or goats or sheep. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've mentioned before, uh, Darby Simpson has a customer up there in Indiana that is literally just an old man who likes to have the cows in his yard for a couple days. (laughs) And they're his lawnmower. So he just fences them in for a few days, lets them mow his yard, and then he moves them off uh, back to the regular pasture area afterwards.
1: Yeah, that's Um, cool.
0: Yeah, and so I always think of it like, why? Even if I did have to mow, why wouldn't I mow with something that not only mows, but I don't have to push it, and it leaves behind fertilizer when it mows? <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, huh? You know. So that, these are ways to to use a product. This product called grass that we would otherwise throw away. So, um, yeah. To move on, uh, my my next concept is the stun technique of farming or we'll we'll say even just for like small gardening um you know maybe sometimes you um well i i've got this in the next example i don't know i'll just i'll just say the stun technique and then we'll get into it because i have it more written out later uh so stun stands for sheer total utter neglect and that is a perfectly legitimate way to farm so Um, Another resource that is wasted oftentimes are seeds. So let's apply the previous thought experiment to how a gardener might save money next year and even improve the natural qualities of the plants he grows for the unique environment that is your backyard. Mm -hmm. So um, if, if you're buying seeds, you're often hunting for a specific seed. And a lot of times you get hybrids or whatever that don't produce seeds because they're hybrids. Uh, just trying to find qualities that will survive in your backyard. If you have a particular pest problem or particular environmental thing going on, like your soil condition or whatever it is, so you're trying to find a type of plant that will survive there, um, what you can do is you can actually just take the seeds from, like let's say you have an heirloom tomato or whatever that you planted and grew well, and so with sheer t- total utter neglect, what you can do is you can just plant a whole bunch of this plant and the ones that grow well and have the properties you like, those are the ones you keep your seeds from. So if you learn how to process those seeds and dry them and whatever you're going to do to hold them over winter, the next year when you plant them, they're going to be seeds that are selected by you intentionally, but they're, they're naturally selected for those properties. And you're actually mm-hmm. improving the way that they're going to grow next year. So uh, rather than hunting and paying money for seeds that somebody else bioengineered, you could plant some, you know, a whole bunch of seeds, pull the, the crops that didn't do very well, and keep the crops that are doing well and doing what you want, and save the seeds from those and use those for next year's planting.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. This is and- often referred to as a land race so you're you're making the particular species and it may not rise to the level of being so differentiated that it's its own species but over a few years and especially over decades of repeatedly doing this you're going to end up by necessity or just by 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 design what you're doing is going to have the most perfect Mm-hmm. version of a tomato, a and squash, it, whatever for your particular yard.
0: Yes. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's perfect for you. Mm-hmm. And so um you could keep, you know, plug and playing different seeds or you could just see what grows and then keep that and propagate that because that's what's going to work where you are. And you know, sometimes that means changing plants altogether, but mm-hmm. um what I would definitely suggest, because I learned this from Mark Shepard's book is just plant a whole bunch of stuff, see if they grow, where they grow, how they grow, and then um, not every seed is the same. So, like, you take one tomato, every single seed of that is a different type of tomato, and so you you take those seeds and you plant them again... And again, you keep the seeds that worked. And the more you do this, the more cycles of this you go through, the more refined it becomes and you end up with your own personal variety of tomato or of whatever plant it is that you're planting. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah.
1: This this is a, a good point for me to make mention of why heirlooms might be important for this. Um, just because the reason they're heirloom is because they're known to produce seeds that are true to type. So this means, you know, as long as as long as this is, you know, you've only grown beefsteak tomatoes in mm-hmm. the in the relative area around your garden, you take those seeds, you plant them next year, you're going to have beefsteak tomatoes. If you grow beefsteak tomatoes and some sort of like a yellow pear tomato, you don't necessarily know what those seeds are going to grow next year. Um, And that could be a great thing. You could produce some sort of a new hybrid that through the repeated planting of that seed from the hybrid of the two develops its own characteristics taking the best from each. It develops hybrid vigor, still produces true to type, and produces an even better uh, fruit for your area.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I, uh, that's that's a term that I didn't think of, true to type. So mm-hmm. um, heirloom heirlooms specifically do make that kind of fruit, generally speaking, right?
1: So heirloom just means that for a certain period of time, it could only have been... There, there are heirloom seeds that the, the particular variety didn't exist 10 years ago. It doesn't have to be that long, but they've shown for multiple seasons that when you get a seed that has this name, we've identified it as a seed from this plant. It's going to produce a tomato or whatever sort of fruit with these characteristics. We know about how big the plant will be given the right conditions because like, you know, you know, basically what it's going to do because it's done it. It has a track rate of track record of doing it.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's good information. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so yeah uh that i think that pretty much covers uh the stun technique but uh you got to remember too is that like so you can you can save seeds and use those to find what works in your property but uh something that i because uh, i was looking back through shepherd's book for some uh, management principles and uh he was mentioning that uh, you, you should always start with a good soil test Mm-hmm. And maybe you know so so this goes back to dealing with what you have. If you've got a soil that maybe is too acidic or not acidic enough for a certain type of plant, maybe you grow something else um, absolutely which I think I may have that written in the next part, so I'll just get right into it. (laughs) When life gives you lemons, so whether it's gardening or brewing or literally any other hobby or business, try to make the most out of what you have, even if what you have isn't what you intended to make. Say you buy a house and plan to start a garden with a particular set of plants. Before you start, consider getting a soil test to see whether or not the things you're intending to grow really make sense in that soil. If amending the soil to fit a particular set of plants blows the whole project over budget and both money and the amount of work you need to put in, consider changing the design to fit the environment you already have. So this goes back to that uh, TSP episode 2828 where Jack was saying with designs, he never implemented because they would never see an ROI. So you do need to do the math and really think about like, okay, how much work am I putting in and is it worth doing this particular system? Right. Should mm-hmm. I grow, you know, let's say a pepper garden in, I don't know, Northern Wisconsin where it doesn't get warm enough or, you know, it, it, or if I'm in Texas and it's too hot you know you wouldn't want to try to grow let's say like spinach and like cold weather stuff
1: absolutely in the summer
0: yeah like you, you really have to think about what's gonna work when where you know what's my climate what's my soil uh that sort of thing and and if it's too far different from what you're trying to do then maybe change what you're trying to do or you know see what kind of uh, things you can do to offset that um, without breaking the budget of whatever project it is.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And to to take this to add in even more potential variables, Jack and Nick Ferguson, when they were doing project walks at uh, Jack's fall workshop just a few weeks ago, stressed over and over that if this were just to be a production food forest around Jack's house, they would not have used swales. Swales were not the right tool for what they wanted to accomplish on Jack's land there. But Jack knew that with his property being intended to also be used as an educational tool, everybody's going to ask about swales. So -hmm. if he has them there, he has an example. And he also has the example of these are not the best application here. Swales are not always the right tool and now i can explain to you why because i've put them in and seen that there would have been a better tool
0: so yeah. it takes that
1: away from being something that becomes like the be-all end-all permaculture mm-hmm. so that that is another potential input what's going to be the use of different uh systems that you put in are you teaching your kids about things that's a perfectly valid reason to build something
0: mm-hmm. yeah um that's Okay, so one of my favorite like terms that I've learned from the podcast Grassfed Life is uh, context. Mm-hmm. And so, like I was saying, you know, you may look at your context and say, "Well, the soil's this way. I don't want to grow these plants." Well, in Jack's case, swales don't work on his property. But then again, he brings context back into it and says, "I have an educational facility." So it's a good thing to do this, and I can actually use it to show why I wouldn't do this here. right? Exactly. So his context is to show when something is out of context, and therefore the swale makes sense. <laughs> yes. That's, that is such a great example. I love that. Absolutely. Yes, and, it's sti-
1: and it has to stick in your head Yeah, when it's presented that way. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the whole context question is why – you know, anytime you ask somebody who's into permaculture a specific question, they're going a- to answer, it depends. Mm-hmm. because it depends on so many different pieces of your particular context,
0: yeah what does Jack say? he says uh can I yes should I it depends <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so um all right uh, continuing on here so a personal example to get away from gardening was the first time i ever tried to brew cherry mead okay so this is going to go backwards so before i said get a soil test and try to figure this stuff out on paper before you plant and before you start messing around and moving earth in my case it was i'd already done it um and so life gave me lemons on the back end when i had already gone through the process of brewing and filtering the mead i had trouble keeping the seal on one of the batches and oxygen found its way in for those of you who don't know when a finished wine or mead becomes oxygenated that oxygen feeds bacteria called acetobacters that can convert the alcohol into vinegar so if you're making vinegar you can intentionally add acetobacters um and I forget what they call it uh, commercially, but you can buy you know, the, the bacteria colony to make vinegar and keep that mother colony the same way you would when you're making sourdough. You keep a mother yeast colony alive that you use for sourdough. Um, it's the same with vinegar, but in the case of making booze, you don't want it to turn to vinegar because that's not what you were looking for. <laughs> so what I had in that particular jug was no longer meat at all. It was cherry mead vinegar. I was sad for all of ten seconds, and then my permaculture mindset kicked in, and I hopped into a chat room and I asked my friends, "What would cherry vinegar taste good in?" And the first response I got was barbecue sauce and now, after some tweaking, I have a killer barbecue sauce recipe that can only be made with a vinegar that I make <laughs> and it's really good, and I need to make some more uh, yes, it is good this, uh, this winter so um. Oh, yeah, you got to try it at Childerberg 3. That's right. Yes,
1: I got a jar. I just don't use many sauces, so it's still sitting full in my pantry with many other sauces for a rainy day.
0: You know what? So my two favorite uses for that, um, since it's cherry and it's like a really spicy, um, it's kind of like a sweet and spicy sauce, Mm -hmm. I include mine in meatloaf a lot. Oh, That's really good. Um, But the other thing that I really like to do is actually just make homemade steak fries um, where you like cut really thick fries out of potatoes and uh, fry them in oil. And then I put like maybe either like seasoned salt on them Mm -hmm. or you could probably use like Tony's would be really good and then dip them in that barbecue sauce. Oh, Mm -hmm. my God. It's that on the side of a steak and fries. Oh, Shit. my God. So, I have really good barbecue sauce, and I will <laughs> bring that to Childerburg for next Memorial Day. Keep a lookout. It is in the Austin, Texas area, Childerberg.com. So, many homebrewers can be discouraged by discovering a bad batch, and I put bad in quotes, a bad batch of wine to the point that they dump it down the seek sink and put off trying again for a long time but when you apply the permaculture mindset of turning a problem into a solution you may come out the other side with something that surprises you so that is my my piece
1: beautiful yep to expand even further i don't i had made mead just over a year ago very Mm -hmm. simple just traditional mead and i don't drink much um anymore so i it was going to take me a while to get through my last four bottles that still remained so seeing a problem not really a problem i would have gotten to it eventually but knowing that somebody else might prefer it more than i would i took it with me to barter with at jacks and ended up with things that i would rather have and people got my mead which they would rather have than what they gave me for it
0: yep and by that point, it was over a year old, so it, it had had some time to mellow out. And mm-hmm. and I got to try that at Childerberg 3, and I, honestly, it, it was a, a perfectly good first batch of mead, and, and I was really happy that you got to see it get that kind of age on it and, and take it and show it to people.
1: Yeah, I yeah. very good responses on it, which made me quite happy.
0: Awesome. That's good to hear. So they got to open it while you were there?
1: Yeah, one guy um, nice. had flown in from like New Hampshire, so all of the large things like that that he was buying on the last night. He may, he may have been a bit drunk by this time, but he was buy, <laughs> buying a lot of larger items and then just sharing them with everybody around as drunks gotcha. often do.
0: Yep. Yep, that's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> it gets a drink before you leave. Yeah. Um. Alright, so let's, let's round this puppy out. What do we got next?
1: Yeah, so something really important that we've kind of stressed before, but I want to make sure to make a, a very pointed point on it. Um, As you learn more and more about permaculture, it can be very tempting to jump in feet first. But one of the most important things that permaculture teachers typically stress is is to take a lot of time to observe and contemplate where is the best place for different elements, what the area actually needs, how the systems can support each other, etc. It's much easier to erase a garden bed or a chicken coop on paper than to move it if you put it in the wrong location. Exactly. Mm -hmm. This is considered a type one error. So you've put something in a place that you no longer want it to be. Like my garden bed area, if I had it to do over again, my gardens would not be raised beds in the areas that they currently are.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and just popped into my head, that's like, uh, if you think of it like a Bitcoin transaction, you know, you... You really need to make sure that you mean to send that transaction because if you send it to the wrong address or the wrong amount or whatever, and it gets codified on the blockchain, it takes all of the energy that it took to to confirm that block to unconfirm it. Right, and at this mm-hmm. point, at this point, that's we're talking about like all of the energy in the world. So you got to be really careful with Bitcoin because it ain't getting rolled back. Yes. Um, and with permaculture, it's very similar because you're literally talking about like moving earth and building infrastructure, and that is really hard to fix once it's already there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: So, um,. From uh, Jack again, a great way to pursue permaculture is to add one thing at a time and I wrote this as one product at a time so spend the first year getting good at chickens and rooting out problems in your processes using the troubleshooting skills that Jack talked about in that TSP episode 2828. Um, give yourself a chance to design and redesign processes before tacking on another product that will have even more processes that need to be incorporated. So, you know, maybe you've got chickens the first year and you really want to start, you know, on on another animal. Maybe you want to add pigs. It might be a good idea to go ahead and wait until you've done chickens for a year. And in that case, you may have done them, depending on how you're doing them, if you do them in, in batches, you know, like if you're raising meat birds, you can do that up to five times a year, depending on your climate and, you know, how much warm weather you have. Mm-hmm. Um, give yourself a chance to do it five times before you go adding pigs in and trying to make like some kind of rotation out of them. Right. You want to be good at one thing before you move on to the next. Um, Definitely. Definitely.
1: And within yeah. within a year, you'll also see what your labor costs in dealing with that particular product is. You'll have a better gauge of whether you want to add even more to it. Mm-hmm. So may- maybe you do- you realize you don't have the time to be able to deal with a batch of meat birds at once plus some pigs. So you just get a few more meat birds and try that out. You'll also start seeing in that year all the different things that you can do to produce inputs that go to whatever you've put in place, so you keep that production in house, and also you'll find ways to make use of the "quote unquote" waste products from mm-hmm. that system that you've put in. And just spending that time watching the system as it sits, you'll once your brain gets switched onto this, you'll start seeing all sorts of possibilities.
0: Right. Yeah. So what I've seen a lot, um, especially from grass-fed life. Um, just listening to how a farm progresses, like what the way that I see it almost is you almost want to be so slow on adding things that it, your farm forces you to add something. So let's mm. say you're, you know, let's say you're running cattle and you're rotationally grazing and you're keeping up on your grass, but then you hit a, hit a point, eventually, you hit a point where. That grass, because of the rotational grazing and the fertilizer that's being left by the cows, and you're getting so good at it now that that grass is growing out of control and you're actually having to go and in, in bush hog in front of the cattle to get the grass down to a, a height that the, the cattle can handle. Mm-hmm. Well, now your farm is forcing you to actually put more cattle on that land. You don't want to do that before it's ready, though, because you don't want to burn the land out. So you wait until you're forced to actually, you know, upgrade and increase your production, right? Because you have a new product that that is getting to a point that it can be used for this other purpose, right? You're producing so much yeah. grass that now you have to produce more cattle, right? <laughs> That's
1: awesome. Yeah, you've made the system so much better that it actually becomes less labor intensive to mm-hmm. add more cows to it.
0: Exactly, and, and the way I look at it is you you've gotten so good at that particular skill that now you're forced to add another skill because rather than, rather than being mediocre at something and being mediocre at 10 different things and having a mess on your hands, you've gotten good at something to the point where now it basically runs itself and you can increase whether it's increasing production on that one thing or maybe finding a way to reconstruct maybe you say okay you know what this field is running like crazy and instead of instead of bush hogging it or instead of increasing my my cattle on the farm what if i use that grass for something else so maybe i let it go to hay and now i've got back stock and that's useful to me during the winter
1: Mm -hmm. or
0: you know there's all sorts of things you know not not just cattle related but there's all sorts of ways that you you end up with a surplus and you you know, the, the third ethic, return of surplus, you reincorporate that in in a new way. And this is where we see the, the permaculture benefit, where we say this system is actually able to be abundant and grow without outside input. This mm-hmm. is how it happens as you get so good and efficient at the things you're already doing that now you have surplus that gets reincorporated in new ways.
1: Yeah, beautiful. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Beautiful. that's that's what I think permaculture is really all about. It's it's learning how to um, close the loop on your system and to allow it to build on itself. That's what permaculture is, whatever system that happens to be. Beautiful. Yep,
1: I love it. Um, all right. Yeah, that brings us pretty well to the end. We're going to hold off on discussing zones, guilds, quadrants, uh, more examples on systems. Edge effect, all sorts of additional topics we can get into, and eventually, yep. well, um, but I wanted to end with a fun quote from my buddy, Tori. He has a YouTube channel called The Permaculture Homestead. He has designed a beautiful, abundant food forest in his own backyard, and also on, it's, I think it's just a quarter acre, quarter to a half an acre, um, behind the local feed and farm store. Mm-hmm. And one day when we had been out working in the food forest at the feed and farm store, we were chopping and dropping because some of the pioneering species were just growing rampantly and it was time for them to be cut back and use those the carbon that we'd cut off to feed everything else in the system. We'd come inside, just take a breather and cool down. And there was a guy in there that was talking about uh, either getting a Tesla or a friend that had a Tesla or something. And, and my buddy uh, said, "Quote: Beta cucks drive Teslas. chads restore ecosystems.
0: It <laughs> says it all. Yeah, yep.
1: it's stuck with me. Yeah, you just got to make sure that that there's purpose to what you're doing. Um, especially a more localized impact. Like mm-hmm. slightly reducing the carbon that you've put into the air has a very minor impact on the world. But growing half of your own food and showing your kids if that that's possible and teaching them to do the same has a lot bigger impact directly on more people.
0: Yeah. Well, and even like so so let's talk about the climate thing for a second. So um in the if you think about the the difference in mindsets, what the the climate activists will tell you to do is to decrease all of these let let's call them uh, waste outputs, right? So whether it's um, pollution or excess CO two or whatever, and they'll tell you we need to find ways to, you know, clean the CO two out of the air and sequester it underground in these giant storage tanks, <laughs> or we need to put literally put like mechanisms on cattle to suck up their farts and shit, so that it like you know can get put in these tanks, right? So we're 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 taking a waste and and eliminating it, right, mm-hmm. but in the permaculture mindset, you say, "Well, I've got all this excess c o two in the air, so what should I do? Put a bunch of things that consume c o two in my in my system right absolutely so um oh, I'm trying to i had a thing I had a thing. what was it oh, oh, it's the the mark Shepard quote right, so uh why are we trying to kill things that want to live and keep alive things that want to die if you've got something that loves that like the cattle with the grass you've got something that loves grass put the two together and you know you'll you'll have that production that offsets the cost of this waste right so we talk about closing loops the whole point is to offset the cost of the waste with production and when waste can be used as a resource it you you know you you think of it like like it it, built into the price of a good is is all of the costs that went into it whether it's labor whether it's materials blah 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 Mm blah and then and then the, the climate activists will see that there's a, there's also a waste product, whether that goes in a landfill, whether it's gases in the air, whether it's pollution in a river. But if you can reincorporate that back in and say, no, this is, this is not waste. It is actually something that I can use to produce something else. You're cutting down on the cost of that product by keeping all of those costs in house you know, and, and revolving back and forth between different enterprises. Mm-hmm. And that is how like we, we create a more efficient um society that way. And whether it's whether it's your community or just your homestead or society as a whole, like from top to bottom we can we can cut costs by not just viewing things as waste.
1: Right. And this can come entirely from a selfish mindset. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, you can think of it just as being self-serving. Just reduce your own costs by making use of all that you can that you already have. Yeah. It 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 can be entirely self-serving and still, you know, be a benefit to you, your community, whatever.
0: hmm Yeah, I'll tell you, like, I, you know, we, we talked about anarchists from the right getting into permaculture, and I think the reason, because I, I definitely... You know it wasn't for me it wasn't the moral arguments or the climate arguments or any of that that got me into permaculture what got me into it was wait a minute I can do this without needing you know hundreds of thousands of dollars to input on you know outside inputs to bring in like I you know if if you talk about like the capital intensiveness of of modern agriculture, the mm-hmm. tractor, the fertilizer, the seed, all of the all of the stuff that has to go into that and it and it's kind of it's designed to make the whole thing simple, right? So you, you know the farmer I, I don't really think is all that involved in his farm, really, he's involved in in accumulating capital goods that are then used to process you know, a field of, of grain or whatever. And, and the whole idea is that you can take all these inputs, throw them out there. And when, when it's done growing, you come back and you collect the reward. And it's designed for simplicity. But the problem is you're, you're pulling all of these outside inputs in and then pushing out hoping that the reward you get will be higher than the cost you put in and as you know we all know farmers are on a revolving system of basically seasonal lines of credit mm-hmm. in order to actually keep that kind of system going so it's actually a losing system yeah. you know because it's constantly requiring Debt in order to finance, and so you know, and and this goes back to the whole savings thing. If you're willing to put in the time and energy and the skill building to to intensively manage a system in whatever system that is, whatever enterprise, whatever business it is that you are interested in, even if it's just a hobby, if you build that skill to the point that um, you you are able to Do it efficiently and without all of these outside inputs, you know, so I I should say efficiently and to a degree self-sufficiently, or at least, you know, in the economic sense, profitably, that's how you're going to save for the future and build a system that is sustainable into the future. So we talk about sustainability and... You know, I'm. I've been listening to Michael Saylor speeches all week because I've just been bored, and I really like listening to him. And you know, he's always talking about sustainable monetary policy, safe and Moose, sustainable monetary policy. Um. So even even from the economic side, you can talk about sustainability, and you can do it without the the moral nonsense that we get into um you know ar- arguing with like these climate alarmists and everything else activists mm-hmm. of all stripes you know uh, racial activists whatever it is like it, it it's uh, sustainability is a key word and it doesn't just mean environmentally sustainable and you're a bad person because of co2 output like no that's not it that's not the concept
1: Right. And just to nitpick a little bit, we're going beyond sustainability and actually regenerating. Like your example with the cows on pasture, when they're rotated appropriately, you start regenerating that ecosystem to the point where you've actually got to now have more cows to Mm -hmm. keep up with the production that you're making just because you've handled it the way that, you know, up until maybe a hundred years ago, everybody knew it was just common sense to handle it that way.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's that's something that's funny, because I was just thinking while you're – when you mentioned that, it's – so sustainability doesn't mean that it's a closed loop that only sustains itself. It, it sustains itself, but it also has surplus above and beyond itself into the future. So, like, it, whether we're talking about, you know, producing enough vegetables that we can can them and have them over the winter – to keep us alive until next year or if it's creating a surplus that we can then feed into another enterprise whether that's you know cow manure being fed into compost that gets used in the garden that becomes feed for the chickens mm-hmm. right you see how there's this surplus building up there's a surplus of nutrition and a surplus of solar energy that's been captured by animals or that's been captured by plants and then fed to animals and then grown in the form of biological energy and mass like we are we're not just sustaining the system at you know 100% capacity we are increasing the capacity of the system as it builds on itself it's Absolutely. into the future future care right mhm yep so Beautiful. that's that's the way i look at it that is i think that is the essence of the permaculture mindset is that system that is not only sustainable but it is abundant
1: mhm well put
0: all right so if you're if you're good with ending it there, I'm good.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think we covered a lot of ground.
0: All right. So uh we hope you guys found that useful and can uh at least make, think about that in your own life and your own hobbies and your own uh production.
1: Yeah. Both of our cool. listeners give us some feedback. Yeah,
0: please. <laughs> please share this around if you if you found it enlightening at all. But uh Thanks for listening and cheers.
1: Yeah. Peace and love.